I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, race for the White House. President Joe Biden delivers campaign remarks in South Carolina while Republican candidates stay busy in Iowa. Back at work, lawmakers return to Capitol Hill and are set to hammer out details on a new budget. Sounding the alarm. Why religious freedom advocates want more help for Christians in Nigeria. Plus, water and wines. Pope Francis holds a special ceremony for 16 babies and their families in the Sistine Chapel. We'll explain these stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Apollinaris. Our top story tonight, voters in Iowa are just one week away from kicking off the 2024 presidential election. Republican candidates are trying to gain their support and unseat President Joe Biden. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, President Joe Biden never even stopped at the White House today. Instead, he went straight from his home in Wilmington to Air Force One to hop on the campaign campaign trail. And he made his first pitch to a church congregation where nine years ago a horrific shooting took place. President Joe Biden leaves Delaware on a flight to Charleston, South Carolina, where he's pushing his re-election campaign. That's the America we're building together. Instead of erasing history, we're making history. The president speaking at Mother Emanuel AME Church, the scene of a mass shooting about the dangers of extremism. In 2015, nine black parishioners murdered the killer, a young white man, intending to ignite a race war. The truth is under assault in America. As a consequence, so is our freedom, our democracy, our very country, because without the truth, there's no light. As he seeks re-election, Biden will get support from infrastructure coordinator Mitch Landrieu, who is leaving the White House to help with the president's campaign. Some Democratic lawmakers say voters just don't realize all of President Biden's accomplishments. But the CEO of Make America Great Again, Inc., says Biden can't run on a porous border or a weak economy. Former President Donald Trump also rips Biden. He's just one of the Republican candidates crisscrossing through Iowa one week before the caucuses. What does he have? He's got the worst border in history. He has a terrible economy that's inflation-ridden. Vivek Ramaswamy is also barnstorming through the Hawkeye State, holding events over the weekend and again today. I'm worried that American dream isn't going to exist for our kids and their generation unless we step up and actually do something about it right now. I think we're in the middle of a war for the future of this country. And former presidential candidate Mike Pence says elections are about the future. He's ready to move past Trump and Biden. And we need new leadership in the Republican Party. We certainly need new leadership in the White House. Vice President Kamala Harris also reaching out to voters with a pro-abortion message during a stop in Myrtle Beach this past weekend. She criticized states that have passed pro-life laws designed to protect unborn babies. And the vice president has more of those trips coming up. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, the White House says that it will review if rules and procedures were broken when Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin failed to inform top officials, including the president, of his recent hospitalization. Secretary Austin was hospitalized on January 1st following a medical procedure on December 22nd. He has now resumed his duties but remains hospitalized at Walter Reed Medical Center. White House officials say the Defense Secretary still has the president's confidence from President Donald Trump said that Austin should be fired for dereliction of duty. 
Our Congress is back to work this week, and the schedule is packed. They will try to finish work on the federal budget now that leaders have agreed on a top-line spending number, $1.59 trillion. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Good evening, Tracy. The nearly $1.6 trillion budget for 2024 is ironically the same amount in the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which was negotiated by former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden last summer. Congress will have to vote and send it off to the president's desk by January 19th or pass yet another continuing resolution to avoid a partial government shutdown. Some say it's a good start. I do believe it will help us avert a shutdown. I've always said we must cut spending, we cannot default on our previous debts, and we cannot shut down. In a statement, Mike Johnson hailed the agreement, quote, this deal does provide us a path to, one, move the process forward, two, reprioritize funding within the top line towards conservative objectives, and three, fight for the important policy riders. The budget includes $886 billion in defense spending and $704 billion in non-defense spending. Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries say they won't accept any, quote, poison pill policy changes, including pro-life provisions. But some conservatives, part of the House Freedom caucus are lining up against the agreement. Members wrote on X, quote, it's even worse than we thought. Don't believe the spin. Once you break through the typical Washington math, the true total programmatic spending level is $1.658 trillion. Meanwhile, the Senate continues to negotiate policy changes to stop the record flow of migrants at the border. Congressman Chip Roy says Speaker Johnson should force that issue. If you can't shut down the border, then shut down the government. And the whole point of that is to say, guys, we need to get your attention. You need to come to the table. You cannot continue to do what you're doing. Let's remember Speaker Johnson faces a shrinking majority in the House. He only has a two-vote majority after several Republicans decided to retire. That doesn't give him a lot of room to maneuver. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise is having a stem cell transplant. It is part of his battle against blood cancer. Scalise first announced his diagnosis back in April. He completed chemotherapy last month. The Louisiana Catholic congressman will work remotely once the procedure is complete before returning to Washington next month. Our Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is on a whirlwind diplomatic mission in an effort to keep Israel's war with Hamas from expanding. As he departed Saudi Arabia, the secretary explained what he would be discussing with Israeli leaders. I will press on the absolute imperative to do more to protect civilians and to do more to make sure that humanitarian assistance is getting into the hands of those who need it. We'll also, of course, focus on our relentless efforts to bring back the hostages, Americans, Israelis, and others. Blinken's trip comes on the heels of the death of a senior Hezbollah militant killed in an airstrike in Lebanon. This is fueling fears that Israel's Hamas war could expand outside of Gaza since the war began in October. After Hamas's deadly terror attack on Israel, there has been almost daily exchanges of fire along the border between Hezbollah militants and Israeli forces. I want to bring in now Israeli government spokesperson Avi Hyman. Sir, good to have you back on the show. Um, first off, what more can you tell us about the Israeli airstrike that killed a senior Hezbollah commander in southern Lebanon this morning? Can you confirm that death? Tracy, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I can tell you that uh, Hezbollah um, is constantly firing rockets um, at our, at our uh, northern border, over the northern border. 
Uh, we're calling on Hezbollah to adhere to Security Council Resolution 1701, which says that they need to be way past the Litani River. Um, we don't want an escalated war with uh, Hezbollah. And Avi, I understand the IDF spokesman said that the Israeli military has entered a new phase of its invasion of Gaza. What is meant by that new phase? Can you tell us? So what we've seen on the ground is that the IDF has uh, taken a lot of ground, pushed forward um, in the north of Gaza. Um, we've essentially dismantled the Hamas's military capabilities um, in the north. Uh, we're moving down towards the center and the south. And we hope that we'll get to a stage by which, uh, you know, things could be uh, a, a little bit uh, less intensity. But that will depend on uh, our abilities to uh, fulfill our mission, which was stated from the very first day of the of the war, which is to fully dismantle Hamas's military capabilities and their governance over Gaza and to free the hostages. And we are hearing uh, some reports from Al-Asqa Mater's hospital that it's on the verge of catastrophe. Um, I want you to listen to the soundbite. It's coming from the Gaza team leader from the U.N. Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Let's take a listen. Inside this hospital, we have children who've just been hit by shrapnel. We have children who've just been hit by gunfire. We've had a woman inside who had to wait six days in order to access treatment because the fighting around her was so severe. So the reason we're here today is first to call for the protection of Al-Aqsa Hospital, which has to be protected. The staff inside of this hospital are heroes. Avi, I want to get your thoughts on that. As you know, um, it has come under heavy as a fire from Israeli forces um, moving closer. Of course, we all know under international humanitarian laws that hospitals uh, are not to be attacked. So how would you respond to that? Well, I don't know. I don't know that uh, it's being attacked. Israel does not target hospitals, so I can't confirm, you know, that report. What I can tell you is that Hamas has a history of cynically using hospitals, schools, mosques and other civilian uh, facilities to embed their terrorists underneath and within. Avi, I, I want to talk to you about this. Um, this report coming uh, from the Committee to Protect Journalists, um, they're reporting that since the war began, at least 79 journalists have been killed and many of the deaths uh, must be investigated. Uh, one of the latest deaths is Hamza Al-Duda, who is the son of Al Jazeera Gaza bureau chief. And there were many others who are killed as well. Uh, the CPJ is expressing concerns that Israel may be targeting journalists. What would you say to that? Well, I'll say categorically that Israel does not target journalists. Israel does not target civilians. As much as, uh, you know, Hamas sources would like to push that narrative, that is a false narrative. I'll tell you that yesterday, um, the individuals that were killed were uh, traveling together with a Hamas drone operator um, they were aiding and abetting terrorism, if not terrorists themselves. I can't confirm the specifics, but I can tell you that they were with a, t a terrorist and that terrorist was targeted. Avi Hyman, sir, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you.
Over in the Middle East, war to Russia's war on Ukraine, where the front lines are being hit with a barrage of hypersonic and cruise missiles. At least four people were killed in combined attacks on buildings, homes and shopping malls in Ukraine. Western officials have warned that Russia has been stockpiling its cruise missiles in preparation for the winter bombardment. It is happening in the midst of a cold snap in Ukraine, where thousands are without power. One of developments tonight in the Boeing jetliner that suffered a mid-air emergency. Federal official says the missing piece that blew off the airliner has been found by a school teacher in Portland, Oregon. Of the uh, door plug uh, and said he found it in his backyard. Thank you, Bob. Please, uh, we, we will, I will reach out to you so that we, uh, uh, so that I can thank you myself. Following the accident last Friday, the FAA grounded more than 140 Boeing planes. None of the 171 passengers and crew members were seriously injured after that door blew off an unused exit door about three miles above Portland. A blizzard and winter storm warnings are in effect across the Midwest United States. A storm could bring 8 to 12 inches of snow in parts of Iowa anywhere from 9 to 15 inches could be expected, complicating campaign plans for next week's Iowa caucuses. This follows a storm that struck the East Coast this past weekend. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including a call to action. Our religious freedom group tells us why there is an urgent need to do more for the faithful in Nigeria. Plus, what Pope Francis told diplomats assigned to the Holy See. recently released its updated list of countries where religious freedom is being curtailed and the faithful are being targeted. And a few of those nations left off the list of countries of particular concern are raising some eyebrows. Both Nigeria and India failed to make the list despite continued violence and persecution against Christians and other religious groups. In fact, reports say that during the Christmas season, more than 200 Christians were killed in Nigeria alone. And joining us now is Frederick Davey, Vice Chair for the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Sir, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Before we talk about Nigeria and India, I want to get your overall thoughts on this year's State Department list. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And let's let me just say straight out, we have a great deal of respect for our, our colleagues at the State Department uh, and the work that they do. Uh, overall, um, uh, I think 12 of the recommendations for countries of particular concern that uh, Yusuf recommended, the State Department has also accepted those recommendations, but on some key ones, such as India and Nigeria, they did not. And that gives us great concern, particularly when it comes to Nigeria, uh, with, as you said, at the top of this piece with over 200 people killed uh, in Nigeria in and around Christmas, uh, including a minister and his entire family in Plateau State, uh, uh, plus the many other uh, religious uh, killings and the religious violence that has gone on in Nigeria uh, over, over the years. Um, and we believe that the State Department made a huge mistake in it this year, as it did last year, uh, by not designating uh, Nigeria a country of particular concern. Of course, we have the same concern about India or others, 
but Nigeria is of particular interest and particular concern uh, for us because it plays such a large role uh, on the continent of Africa. It is a country that's, uh, you know, pretty evenly divided Christian Muslim, I think about 43% Christian with the balance being Islam uh, and a few others. Um, and we just believe that by designating uh, Nigeria, a country of particular concern, the United States puts itself in a position to work more closely with the government of Nigeria to address some of those fundamental security issues that are going unattended to. In fact, there are some who are saying that the government if it's not actively participating in some of this uh, religious persecution, is actually standing by and not doing what it can to prevent it. The United States could play a much greater role in engaging the government in addressing some of these uh, uh, country security concerns that result in this religious violence against Christians and others. Yeah, Frederick, let me jump in here real quick and ask you this. I mean, why do you think they were left off this, the list this year, Nigeria, uh, considering all these atrocities? Well, um, I think, you know, that's really a question for the State Department. I assume there's some geopolitical concerns there. And, you know, USERF as a government agency itself wants to appreciate that. But I think there's enough documentation, even and especially by the State Department, that uh, that uh, Nigeria uh, has uh, allowed or engaged itself in egregious, systematic and ongoing violations of uh, of religious freedom. Uh, and thus should be on this list. I think there's probably disagreement within the State Department itself on the State Department's uh, decision. Uh, I think the U U.S. government, as I said, needs to engage uh, more intently here, and designating Nigeria a country of particular concern is a, would have been the way to do that. One country uh, that was put on the list of particular concern uh, was Nicaragua, uh, where they're pers persecuting Catholics there. Um, I want to talk to you about that. What do you think this designation means, and, and could it help out the faithful there in Nicaragua? Well, we, we certainly hope so. So it means that Nicaragua has been put on notice formally uh, that the United States will not tolerate in its engagement with Nicaragua the continued persecution of, uh, of religious people there, in this case particularly uh, Catholics and the Catholic leadership. The fact that Bishop, Bishop Alvarez has been sentenced to 26 years in prison is outrageous. And USERF has called on the U.S. government to engage with Nicaragua to get Bishop Alvarez released uh, immediately. Uh, it also means that the U.S. government can do targeted sanctions, as it has, against Nicaraguan officials uh, and others, and, and should continue to do that. And then, then engage not only with the Catholic Church, but other faith groups and community-based groups within the country of Nicaragua itself to try to address this issue of ongoing uh, persecution of uh, Catholics in, in Nicaragua. So the country of particular concern, or CPC designation, allows the U.S. government to have greater engagement with these countries around violations of freedom of religion or belief. Uh, and we're really pleased with this CPC designation for Nicaragua. We just wish the same had been done for Nigeria, India, and, uh, and several other countries. Now, Frederick Davey, thank you so much for your time and for your insights today. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you for having me on, and thanks for, for your interest. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, cause for celebration. The Holy Father tells the faithful which day they should celebrate like a birthday. Plus, a closer look at a conference for the faithful that drew thousands of young people to St. Louis.
La disponibilità di armi ne incentiva l'uso e ne incrementa la produzione. In an address to the diplomatic court, the Holy See, Pope Francis renewed his condemnation of terrorism and extremism. He also called for negotiations to end wars, and he highlighted the issue of surrogacy, calling it, quote, especially deplorable and asking for a global ban. Well, Pope Francis reminds the faithful that our baptism made us children of God. Perché il battesimo ci fa figli di Dio. In his Sunday address at the Vatican, the Holy Father said baptism provides us with great grace and the anniversary must be remembered and celebrated. Pope Francis suggested that we learn the day we are baptized and treat it like another birthday. Now, speaking of baptisms, yesterday in Italy was the feast of the baptism of the Lord in honor of the occasion. Pope Francis baptized 16 infants in the Sistine Chapel. Vittoria, io te battesso nel nome del Padre, del Figlio e dello Spirito Santo. And as homily, the Holy Father said that baptism is the most beautiful gift that parents can give. He also reminded godparents of their responsibility to help the newly baptized grow in faith. The papal tradition of baptizing children in the Sistine Chapel began with St. John Paul II back in 1983. Uh, finally tonight, a conference aimed at young Catholics concluded over the weekend in St. Louis. It drew more than 20,000 people for talks, workshops and worship, including a massive crowd for Eucharistic adoration. EWTN correspondent Mark Irons was there and has this report. Kicking off 2024 in faithful fashion, around 20,000 young people converged on St. Louis. It feels like electric, like the energy's just up. For a week filled with worship of God and witness to the Catholic faith. I hope to stay alive and stay on fire for Jesus Christ. Not far from the iconic St. Louis Arch, starting on the first day of the year, crowds and crowds of college students came from around the country and some internationally for SEEK, an annual conference put on by a group called FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. They packed into a downtown arena and convention center for daily mass. And they heard from a wide variety of Catholic speakers. Many of the listeners felt inspired by all the talks, including Matthew, a senior at the University of Illinois. You know, I've been on my feet numerous times during some of these talks, just getting me amped up to um, continue my prayer life after this. And a midweek highlight, adoration with praise and worship reverberating throughout the arena, the Blessed Sacrament processed by kneeling students. It is very powerful when there's so many of us getting to adore our Lord in his true presence. In addition to encountering Christ in the Eucharist, hundreds of priests were also on hand offering the sacrament of confession. Long winding lines of young Catholics formed eager to receive the mercy of God. But there's over 400 priests hearing confessions for hours. Tom Bruner, a vice president with Focus, oversees planning of the Seek conference. This year in particular saw record turnout. He says the annual goal remains the same. How do we really bring people to that authentic encounter with Jesus? How do we bring them to know Jesus and his church? At the conference, there was also space set aside for Catholic apostolates to showcase all the services they provide along Mission Way. And there were plenty of priests, sisters, and brothers to share with the students what religious life is all about in all its different shades, including camouflage. 
Father Peter Pompicello, an Army chaplain representing the Archdiocese for the Military Services, looking to recruit men willing to serve as priests. Are people stopping by? What are they saying? What are the young men saying? Yeah, a lot of interest, a lot of curiosity, because some of them are kind of mystified by it. Like, it's like, like, wait a minute, you're, you're a soldier and, and you get to be a priest and jump out of airplanes? Like, how do I, how does that work? Forty-four Catholic bishops also attended Sikh, and among the clergy inspired by the young, faithful crowd, Cardinal Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of New York. Catholic means everybody. Everybody. You see that here. The Cardinal said the Catholic Church is universal and all its members connected. During the first week of the new year, that truth on display in a special way in St. Louis. It's the mystical body of Christ as we define the church. And you kind of see that alive here at Seek. Mark Irons, EWTN News Nightly. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.